0: True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network.
1: Hey there, True Multifamily listeners. Justin here. Want to make sure you know about our website, truemultifamily.show, where you can stay all up to date, not only on this podcast, but all of our investment opportunities and other projects we have going on. Sign up for our newsletter at truemultifamily.show. See you there.
0: Okay, guys. I want to welcome everyone to, I guess, what's going to be a new trend moving forward. This is a collection collection of some of my personal favorite podcasts that are out there in the multifamily space. And every single one of these individuals on this podcast right now is absolutely crushing it. And they have a a story to tell. And what better place to kind of get six different podcasts together to share their personal experience, basically investing in multifamily real estate. And I'm so gracious and so humbled to be among all. Let me introduce everybody. And actually, let me start with our newest member, Because the last time we had Sean D. Martell from the multifamily takeoff, and now we've got the redheaded stepchild, which is Mr. Richard, (laughs) Richard Summers. Rich Summers. Rich, introduce yourself, my friend.
2: Yeah, how are you guys doing? Uh, Thanks for having me on, Shannon. This is uh, definitely a a pleasure to be here. My name is Rich. I'll keep it brief. Grew up like most people. uh, I was taught from a young age to go to school, get good grades, go to college, and get a job. And for the most part, that's what I did. I have a background in sales. After college, I got uh, into air traffic control Did that for about 11 years. And a few years ago, I got into real estate investing. And I did at the time what everyone told me not to do. They said it was too risky, but I cashed out my 401k, cashed out the stocks that I had, my retirement plan, pulled out a home equity line of credit against my primary residence and started buying some cash producing real estate. And Fast forward to now, I was able to walk away from my job a few months back. And uh, I got a couple of really, really awesome partners in Sean D. Martel and Mike Tai. And uh, we just took down our first syndicated deal last week as a 150 unit deal in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina.
3: Ooh,
2: nice, man. Awesome. Just, just so you guys heard, that was 150
0: units, by the way, just for the <laughs> first deal. 150 units. And Rich is being very humble, but he's a great person. And, and I follow him on Instagram also. Rich, what's your handle on Instagram, just for all of our listeners?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, Rich, R-I-C-H underscore Summers, S-O-M-E-R-S.
0: And Rich, I
2: actually, I'm very
0: touched by some of the personal connections to your community you're a big brother,
2: correct? Can you talk a little bit about that real quick? Because that's so important to give back to the community. Yeah, absolutely. So I like to volunteer a little bit in my free time. A couple of years ago, I started volunteering with this program called Big Brothers Big Sisters. They have them in a lot of major markets in, uh, in the country, but they have one in here in San Diego. So I um, basically volunteer with uh, this 11-year-old boy. His name is Isaac. And I met him when he was nine and underprivileged kid, kind of comes from a uh, broken family. And we get to go do, you know, cool stuff together, things that he normally probably wouldn't be able to do, get to hang out with him you know, one or two times a month. It's it's a pretty incredible feeling to uh, to give back and, and kind of watch him grow.
0: Every time I see you post something with Isaac, it really touches my heart. I mean, I recently became a father. I mean, it's gone by so quickly. I've got an 18-month-old daughter at home, Ryan Marie. But every time that I see you with Isaac, I know that unfortunately, in the real world, there's not a father figure on the other end that's doing the things that you're doing. God bless you, Rich. You're a true human being and a great like role model for all of us on the call. And can we all give a shout out to Isaac real quick? Absolutely. What's up, Isaac? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Woo-hoo. <laughs> <I love laughs> awesome. That. Okay. Well, welcome to our little mini mastermind. I actually personally hate the term mastermind, but there's really another way to call it so that people recognize what the purpose is of the meeting. But Let's go ahead and turn it to Mr. Justin Frazier of the True Multifamily Podcast. Justin, how well, are you doing, my Shannon? friend?
1: I'm great. Good. I'm excited to do this again. You guys, you guys are so much fun. And uh, yeah, I'm lo- really looking forward to our chat tonight. So let's get into it.
0: Awesome. Justin is absolutely a mastermind at managing assets. The guy is a wizard. And if anyone is interested in seeing what happens after you acquire some multifamily real estate, follow the true multifamily. He does an amazing job unpacking that because it really is. That's where the rubber meets the road. And he does a very nice job unpacking that. So very grateful to have you on, Justin. Thank you. Absolutely, my friend. Let's go ahead and turn it over to the millennials, Luke Debro and Daisy Serrano. What's going on, guys?
4: What's up? What's up? <laughs> hey, everyone? <laughs>
0: And you guys are actually remote. Actually, you're in Cali again. Are you moving back to California? You're staying in Texas? We're,
4: we're leaving Texas.
0: Yeah, three,
4: no. <laughs> four months it was too much. <laughs> no, no, we're just back visiting family for, for a couple
0: of days. Right on. Okay. Well, Luke and uh, Daisy, they are some of the, I guess, honestly, the, the fastest up-and-comers. They are amazing. They just took down their first multifamily investment. I'm super pumped to learn a little bit more about that. And they also host. A, Is a monthly? You host a monthly meetup, and you have a tremendous amount of people that show up. You have guest speakers, and you're actually traveling the country, and you're learning more. And you're 100% invested in this space. And you guys are doers. A lot of people they kind of tinker around with multifamily investing. They read a book, they listen to a podcast, but they don't take action. These individuals, they're young they're go-getters and they're actually putting their money where their mouth is. And I'm so grateful to have you guys one more time on this little mastermind. So welcome Luke and Daisy.
5: Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah. Thank All
4: right, you. Guys. You guys.
0: And then the coolest guy, I mean, I just love this guy. He's got the coolest podcast, Mr. Fortes. <laughs> I am a, I'm a PI listener. I'm not going to lie. I love his podcast. It's one of the coolest podcasts. John is just an amazing gentleman and him and I, we are absolutely one hundred percent on the same wavelength when it comes to guests, when it comes to things that are going on in the market. And I just want to welcome Mr. Fortez, the passive investor show host to the podcast. Welcome, John.
6: Hey, I'm excited to be back with you guys. I mean, we we all can like I probably connected with almost all of you guys outside of this individually. And it's just been a blessing to keep those conversations going. So I really appreciate this. Thank you. Rich, we um, gotta connect though. We gotta connect, Rich.
2: <laughs> absolutely. And we gotta we gotta talk some basketball because I'm a huge NBA fan.
6: Ah, here we go. I love it. I love it. Yep.
2: <laughs> That's
0: awesome. See, we're we're making relationships through real estate investing, which is awesome. And then last but not least, probably one of the dark horses of this group, Herman Buendina. Oh my god, amazing guy. Probably out of all of us, the social media game on fire. And and I'm not going to get into this in this podcast, but I do want to unpack that you guys, like your posts every single time I see, like, I can't do that. I don't have time to do that. But you guys like every day, boom, 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 you're giving great value and great content. And everyone that's listening right now, if you guys don't follow these gentlemen, it's him and his brother, Oscar, amazing job, a tremendous amount of value. So if you want a good ROI, return on your investment, Follow these gentlemen. What's your Instagram handle, please, uh, Herman?
3: Uh, REI brothers. uh, Sorry, REI underscore brothers for Instagram. Yeah.
0: And you guys have a tremendous amount of following and people love listening to your podcast, following your Instagram. You guys do an amazing job. So welcome Herman. Now, Oscar, your brother, he was on our first multifamily podcast we recorded, but he's not here today. Do you want to share why you want to keep that private?
3: No, no, dude. I, I mean, he doesn't keep it private. And probably as soon as the, the little baby's born, we're going to put something about it because we like to share what we do with the family and, you know, our personal lives too, which is, is important for for the followers and people to know us. You know, it's not, it's not just business. We have a personal life. We like to have fun too. And family is, is the most important thing. This is why we do this. So, yeah, man, we're pretty excited. Uh, either tomorrow or Wednesday, uh, the baby's going to be born. So that's why he's not here today. He's spending time with his wife.
0: God and bless him. And, and my understanding is a little girl. This is his third one, two yeah. boys, and this will be his first girl. Yeah. Yeah. A little princess. If he doesn't have gray hairs now, he will in a year. Trust me. <laughs> oh no, he already has them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, Herman, welcome to the show, my friend. It's good to see your face again. And we do we certainly miss Oscar, but we certainly wish him and his whole family the very best. 100%. Thank you, brother. So,
3: yeah.
0: Yeah. So with that, let's go ahead and uh, jump into it because again, we want to be sensitive to everybody's time and want to get uh, a tremendous amount of value for our listeners and One thing that makes this podcast unique is you've got 6 different podcasts. We're all recording this together and we're all going to publish it under our own unique brands. And in this world where you've got a lot of egocentric people that focus on me, 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 these are a collection of people that are taking their talents, what they've learned, all the hours they've invested in education and we're pulling it together to showcase what we're discussing, what our thoughts are, what our reactions are to our listeners underneath our own individual brands. And so for that, I'm extremely grateful and humble to be associated with all of you. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. So this time around, I've got a couple of questions because the first time that we recorded our multifamily uh, mastermind podcast, we all kind of knew the questions that were coming. This time around, this is kind of going to be different because I haven't shared these questions with anybody. And so I want to go ahead and jump into something that I think is very, very important for our listeners. Because if you follow social media, if you follow YouTube, you're going to see everybody's best, I guess, face forward, right? You're going to see the influencers, they're going to post their best pictures with the I guess, what do you call it? Like the um, the different, like where they make themselves look better than they are or whatever the case may be. You're going to see people. The filters. Yes, the, the, thank you. The
2: filters. <laughs> and the, the, female, kind of... the, the females on these dating apps need to, need to watch with those filters too. You got to be careful with that. <laughs> <laughs> I've
0: heard about that, Richie. I've heard about that. And sometimes they don't even look human anymore. It's like mm-hmm. the, you, you don't even see their eyeball. But getting to the financial aspect, Some of these influencers, are posting nothing but wins, wins, wins. And so I want to quote something from Dr. Phil. If you guys remember Dr. Phil, nobody always or nevers. And that's important. That's a true statement. No one's always winning. You're not winning all the time. There's losses. So some of these folks that post, oh, we're, we're returning like 20 IRR or whatever the case may be. Yeah, that may be true on that one investment, what about that investment where it's a negative 20 IRR, right? So I want to pose a question. I'm going to throw this to Justin Frazier. What was your biggest investment mistake? And we want our listeners to get the truth. And I've got a story. I'm going to share mine 100%. And that's the thing. When we have a podcast, it's 100% transparent and authentic. So we don't want to hold anything back. This is for our listeners to get realistic real life information on what's going on with us. So Justin, what was your biggest investment mistake?
1: I I love the question and thanks for coming to me first. And just, I I want to talk about the social media thing first, if we can, because I think, you know, obviously people are excited. They want to post the wins and the highlight reel, right? Social media is a highlight reel more than anything. The losses, even if you're, I feel like I'm fairly transparent and open to talking about them, but as you were introducing this segment, I was thinking, I don't really ever post in one post just like, oh, my my big loss or, or where I messed up. Um, I do get into it on the podcast or like I know on your podcast, we got really deep in one. But I think sometimes the losses, we feel like there's more nuance and there's more story and I have to explain. So it's, it's not just, I don't just want to put up a big post and say, hey, I lost my investor's money or we haven't, you know, we haven't sent out a preferred return in a year. That's not something we want to highlight in social media necessarily, though. I think there's probably a a middle ground, but I do think it makes sense for if you can explain it and explain the nuance and come on a show or have your own show and, and really get into it. And so that's really what we try to do on my show is, is allow the space for people to talk about the losses and why, and what led to it and what we're doing to correct. So I'll repeat, you know, a, a little bit of what I got into on on your show, which is, you know, your first deal out, my first my first deal out. I won't speak for anyone else, but my first deal out, um, I syndicated a forty unit deal, and uh, you know, obviously, I was super optimistic and excited about my numbers, and maybe, yeah, I don't think I overpaid, but just optimistic about what was going to happen and how it was going to be so easy to manage contractors and find new tenants and turn around, you know, an apartment complex and You know, I I hit struggle after struggle and wall after wall as far as, you know, managers that were not working for me, contractors that were overcharging me, speed in which, you know, I maybe took my foot off the gas a little bit and was letting, you know, the manager handle things when I should have been in more control. And so all these things sort of lead to delaying returns to taking a property that maybe could have gotten turned around a bit quicker and sort of languishes. And languishing, I think, is one of the worst things that can happen uh, to a multifamily asset. And it's like, that. you know, for me, that's like, we're not sinking necessarily, but we're not growing and we're not getting any better. And so that for me, you know, my first project languished for a really, really long time. And frankly, you know, still coming out of it. And when you get into that deep of a hole that early on, it's almost impossible to come out and hit your initial projections. So I'm building my way out of it. I actually tried to sell it this year, earlier this year, given the market. But because of the hole that we got into, you know, two and a half, three years ago, the amount of return that I wanted, the sale price that I wanted for my investors to kind of make them whole, I just couldn't even get it in this market. So we're refinancing, we're going to move forward and, and cash flow, and basically run it efficiently for the next five years or so. But that will get my investors the best return. And actually, hopefully, Getting back pretty close to that initial projection, but it, it takes time, and it it you can fall real fast. Occupancy can fall. Your capex cost can go up really high. That this all happened to me. Sometimes it can take years to recover. So I'm still going through it, but three years later, we picked up quite a few more more properties. I've learned from that. We don't operate the same way, and haven't made mistakes like that since.
0: So Justin, I appreciate that honesty. So what would you tell listeners that may be followers of some of these? I say that more popular influencers in the multifamily investing space that want to be a GP, what advice would you give them with relation to what you experienced with your first mm. deal? I would
1: say, make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that have actually done it in the same size and location and type of project. I might be able to pay for a mentor from some very popular coaches, but if they've never done a 40-unit heavy value add in this type of area, then a lot of what they say may not apply to me. The more specific the mentor or support group that you have or partners, and it doesn't have to be like you're paying $10,000. It could be a partner that you bring onto your team and exchange your equity. But the more local support you have, the stronger you'll be because the local folks know the people to stay away from. They know the contractors that'll help you out. They know the property managers, the lenders, the people that'll have your back and the people to stay away from. And so every time I get into trouble, it's because I'm talking to someone I shouldn't be talking to or thinking I'm going to bring someone on. And uh, what usually saves me over the last few years is local relationships that I have. And someone says, hey, hey uh, you know, don't hire that guy or don't don't go down that path with that management company. Uh, and that saved me more than
0: once. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that, Justin. Of course. Let me throw the same question to Mr. Fortez. Ah
6: Yes. Uh, so had a great conversation with Justin about my 62 unit. And oh, yeah. I remember we probably talked about his deal for another 30 minutes after we've recorded on his podcast. So um, a few things that got us in trouble is our 62 unit. And we're two days away from exiting, only a 9% return. For me, I broke even. Because if you take inflation rate by 2% or 3%, I either made 3% or I broke even. I'm cool with that because my investment in that deal, I didn't lose money, but I learned a ton. Few things we made, a few mistakes. First, we bought it right. It was so cheap. It was a heavy value add like Justin's. It was month to month leases. It was, everything was lined up in position for us to really do a good job for this, right? And reap the benefits. What we didn't know is month-to-month leases. Great when you're going in, but we didn't stagger the rents for buildings, different buildings as we were emptying. We kept the month-to-month. One building we emptied. Everybody saw the writing on the wall. Didn't even give us a chance. We didn't communicate. Poor communication. Guess what? Everybody left. Now it put us in a a bind where we were going to be able to basically pay our expenses with the other two buildings. Four capital calls later, something that was told that would, we would never be able to do. We got lucky because a few of the improvements we did, we were able to go bridge to bridge, which is everyone, you can't do that. You can't do that. No one's going to do that. We built some value in the property. A company came in, evaluated it, and we were able to go bridge to bridge because we used our two extensions after our year, two six-month extensions. Then from there, we went into the new bridge, 12-month. Right now, we we came to a decision and said, look, we don't want to put any more money into it. What we can get basically break even 9% uh, returns on our invested capital that we already put into this deal and get out. And that's what we're doing right now. The new buyer is going to come in and reap the benefits. And- It's cool. We learned. I learned a ton. I learned how to pick contractors against each other, hire two contractors for the same job, you know, and then for the last piece of the job, hire the one that does it the best. It speeds things up. It allows you to just really uh, go through your business plan efficiently, effectively. But now we know how to hire contractors. We know what to ask for with contracts. I know Justin does. We want to make sure that they're covered with insurance and all of that, because that's a big deal. And you want a contractor that's going to do the right work and not run after, you know, there's a few more things that need to be cleaned up. Now, granted, the heavy lifting was done on those projects, but just things that need to pass inspection, you need to get those cleaned up from another contractor. And now we know what types of contractors because we hired a small company, who couldn't plow through the work fast enough. And that's why we had to do a capital call after capital call. Because when we got a company that was finally able to have enough manpower behind them, we're already at the point where we're like, all right, we don't want to do it anymore. And now we'll take that capital and put it in a new project. So yeah, I mean, I don't mind sharing my losses. I've been on many other shows talking about it as well. I probably should talk about it on on my podcast. I just, I don't know why I don't, but Yeah, I don't. I really don't care because I think everybody should know what to expect when you're actively managing an asset. I mean, I don't. And John, the
1: important thing for me, what I hear from you is, you say I learned, I learned, I learned, I learned, I learned. Right. So it's not like this thing happened and you just threw up your hands and walked away and said, Yeah, we had capital calls and you know I ended up breaking even. No, you ended up you hit terrible adversity you learned, you got a master's degree in how to turn a property around. And you still got out basically scot-free by breaking even. You didn't lose anybody's money, but now you have the knowledge and experience to go forward and you're not going to make anywhere near the same level. You'll make new mistakes, but you won't make those mistakes again.
6: Yeah. I mean, I tell everybody, like I had a, another person I was talking to who's buying a 13 year and they're like, yeah, we're in month-to-month leases. I was like, yeah, be careful with those month-to-month <laughs> leases if you're going in to renovate. Them. so it sounds great when you're going in. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you don't lease them up and stagger them and have your plan correlated with that stagger, then be prepared for the headaches.
0: Yep. It, it comes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John, for that. And then the last question for this one, I'll throw to Mr. Buendia.
3: Yes, sir. So mistake. Uh, I think... More than mistake, it was the things that my brother and I were allowed to to take advantage of from the learning, right? Uh, the deal that we're currently on has been a real challenge. And the fact that that we, it, it wasn't a bad deal at all. Uh, it was challenging due to COVID in, in the planning. I mean, we everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. COVID punched everybody in the face, you know. So we're fortunate enough to be able to cash flow throughout the deal. We, we learn about multifamily getting through this deal. So the biggest mistake was getting into this deal, but also it allowed us to to get into the multifamily, learning about multifamily and knowing that there's better things than commercial or, I mean, residential real estate. Uh, so that's one. The second one, we were so excited about sharing our experience and, and learning from you know, multifamily, the, the multifamily industry, commercial industry and everything wealth related. That's how we started our podcast and we started networking so much that to us it's been a success. we never thought about it uh, a year and a half ago We n- would have never thought about doing what we're doing right now and planning on doing what we're planning on doing in the future. So we don't see it as a mistake. We see it as, as a, we're, we're really opportunistic and probably out of excitement because we we're like little kids. It's so, like, oh my God, we got this deal under our belt. Thank God that we didn't have any investors. It's, it's just between uh, my brother and I. Because, like I said, it's not the best deal out there. But again, it got us to where we are right now, which is pretty great. So, for the listeners out there, even if they made mistakes, is what you make out of those mistakes, what you learn, like John and, and Justin have said, and how you come out of those things, you know, you gotta come out bigger than what you were before, uh and stronger. And that's basically what my brother and I have done. We know we made mistakes, but we move on and we we're not ashamed to tell people it's hey, like you can do better than us and this is how you do it.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Herman. And then I'll go ahead and close out this question with my own personal experience. And this will not be real estate related. This will be related to capital markets and investing in the stock market. So I kind of listened to Warren Buffett about 4 or 5 years ago and I started throwing a whole bunch of money passively in Vanguard funds that track the S&P. And every 2 or 3 months, you know, I'd see a nice return and then every 2 or 3 months I'd see a loss and then it go up and down, go up and down. And then I had a pretty substantial profit before COVID hit. Then COVID hit and I did something stupid. I remember in February looking at my, you know, but my position, I was up pretty substantial and I was pretty proud of myself. And then I started seeing that position go down where like let's say I took a twenty percent loss in one week. I'm like, shit, do I sell, do I exit, or do I just stay the long term? And then I saw another thirty percent the next week. So now I'm down fifty percent. Now I'm in the red and everything you see on the news was doom and gloom. And you know, the mistake that I made was discounting America and how resilient this country is. And also playing to my emotions. I'm 40. At that time, I was 42. I don't need the money now. right? I think the most important thing when you invest in anything is how much money do you have to give? And when do you need it back? I broke that principle. I didn't need it back soon. Had I left that money in the Vanguard Funds Right now, where the S P five hundred is trading, I would have probably been up a substantial 80% easily, 80% of where I bought into it. And uh, unfortunately, I pulled the trigger based upon emotion. Now, when you invest in multifamily syndications like I do as a limited partner, they're very e-liquid, so you don't have that luxury. But I want to also resonate to most of the people like me that do invest in things like mutual funds and 401ks and you react uh, emotionally to the market corrections, no one likes to lose, right? Everybody has a buddy that made twenty thirty thousand dollars last month or last week or whatever. but what you don 't hear is how many people like me that lost forty thousand dollars because I reacted too quickly, and I should have just let the market do what it's going to do and trying to time the market unless you're you know, you have ESP where you can read the minds of all these people that invest in the market. It's, it's illogical. It's illogical. Either you're in or you're out. And uh, dollar cost averaging, which I learned in college, works. But I didn't do it. And so unfortunately, I sold and then I bought back in and I lost probably $20,000 based upon emotion. And had I just rode the wave because every market has ups and downs. And that's a huge mistake that I made as an investor. And I know this is not tied to real estate, but a lot of people listen right now. They have money in the stock market, mostly mutual funds. And I imagine because everyone listens to Warren Buffett, they're probably doing the exact same thing that I did. So unfortunately, you know, you really have to ask yourself, how much money do you have to give now and when do you need it back? So I've got over hundred thousand dollars invested in multifamily syndications right now with three different GP groups. I don't need it back anytime soon. And there's really not a whole lot that I can do now. There's really not a lot that I can do. It's a very illiquid investment, but luckily for me, things are turning out very well in all the investments that I've invested. And in. that's a, that's a good news for me, but when it came to, market volatility and like the ups and the downs and, and my personal decisions to buy or sell with uh, Vanguard funds, I really didn't follow the logic, unfortunately. So for those of you listening, if you're young, ride the wave. It's going to go up. You're going to feel good about yourself. You're going to feel like you're on the top of the world. And you're the smartest investor out there. Guess what, guys? It's also going to go down. Play the long game because that's the smartest thing that you can do. So, we're going to close out that segment, and I want to go ahead and switch to cryptocurrency. This is something that I've been really interested in, and and everyone's been talking about Bitcoin and Elon Musk. And is it Dogecoin? How, what what's the 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 right way is to it say Doge? It? Dogecoin. Dogecoin. Okay, and I hear rumors that uh, Elon Musk is actually going to put a Dogecoin on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> with that freaking dog uh, on the moon. And um, I actually have some friends of mine that I work with that bought in at 22 cents and then they tripled their money. But again, every investment, there's certain risk. It went up to like 77 cents and now it's down back into 50 cents. And now it's actually, I heard it's in the 40s. So it's up and down. It's very volatile. But I want to go ahead and throw this question to Luke and Daisy because a lot of millennials are really hyper invested and interested in getting rich quick. They wanna be that laptop millionaire where they're on the beach anywhere, doing their business, day trading, whatever. They don't want to work for corporate America. What are you guys seeing from the millennial front? Because I know you guys are heavily invested in what millennials are tuned into. What do you guys see from the cryptocurrency front for millennials?
5: You know, so I have a full time day job and so (laughs) there's It might even be Generation Z. I mean, they're just, yeah. I mean, they're super into it. Like, it's either that, it's either the stock market, and it's stuff that it's not a Vanguard fund. They're not interested in that because that's not fun. Um, No,
0: eight percent return on their investment is not interesting to them.
5: (laughs) Yeah, they don't don't want to do that. They, you know, it's like GameStop, you know, and like AMC and Dogecoin and like that sort of stuff. It's either it's either that. That's that's what I, I end up getting, you know, throughout the day at work from people who are. You know, 28 and under, I would say, or on the other side of things with Make It Rain, it's like we have completely different conversations with all of our listeners because of, of course, that's a that's a biased audience, right? It's a very specific audience that's coming to us as well. So I would say I, I end up seeing both. I don't think I mentioned to Daisy. I have coworkers who are, you know, do they do this stuff and they're so into it and all that. It's almost like a game you know, it's, it's, it's like funny money at that age, I think, for them. As I'll give you to- an
0: example, Luke, real quick. So if you invested $500 last month in Zircoin, you would have $2.7 million today. But could you get that two point seven? Because you can buy it, but can you sell it at that price? Who knows? I don't really know a lot about crypto, but I'm really curious. What are you seeing on your front, Daisy?
4: I, I honestly don't hear a lot of people talking about it on my end. And it might just be you know, the investors and you know, the audience that I'm speaking to. And I think a lot of times by the time people come to us or have found our podcast, they're already sold on real estate, right? Or they're already very invested into multifamily specifically. And so that's not a conversation that I personally have had. I think it's something that I hear a lot of other people talking about. It's more so on social media, right? You see it quite a bit We're you know, pretty active on, on Instagram. And I would say on that platform, uh, you know, it, it's constantly coming up, right. In terms of the, the different ads for it or, you know, the, on the stories or, you know, the timelines for, for people, but I, it's not something that for me, I've, heard too many millennials talk about, uh, personally. And I, I, I don't talk about it either, right? Because it's not something that I'm interested in myself. Uh, I don't understand enough about it. And I'm, there's, there's a limit to my time and to what I'm, my you know my hours into and it's not that right it's right now it's full-time uh, multi-family in real estate and building the business and finding the next deal and so it might just be a matter of you know my own approach right that i'm not talking about it i'm not interested in it and so i'm just not in those conversations at all
0: gotcha i actually read an article on forbes recently where there was this guy that lived in LA. And I think he was working for like a rapper and he was kind of doing like an administrative role. He was making $11,000 a year. He took all of his credit cards, maxed them out, took the cash out. He opened up a Robinhood account. He bought Dogecoin and he bought also on margin to the tune of $250,000. And now he's a multimillionaire. But that's one story. How many people have lost money buying on margin, speculating, et cetera. And so it may look awesome when you hear about Zercoin millionaires, you hear about Dogecoin millionaires, et cetera. But like anything, there's risk, right? There, if there's a huge upside, that means there has to be, uh, statistically, there has to be greater beta, greater risk. So let me throw this to Rich Summers. What do you think about crypto, brother?
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny that you uh, you asked this question because I sold all my stock positions that I had a few years ago to you know really leverage into real estate. And for the last few years, I haven't really followed the stock market much, not interested in it. But last week, I uh, decided to put a little bit of money into crypto. We, uh, we refinanced our 32-unit deal the week before. So I had a little cash to park. And I was like, man, I could put it in the savings account or I can take a portion of it and invest in some crypto. Now they say, don't invest in things that you don't understand, but I'm really looking at this as like a educated gamble. If I lose it, I'm okay with it, but I wanted that you know 10X, 20X upside in the next 12 months. So I'm just letting it ride. I, <laughs> I, 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 bought, I bought a couple alternative coins and we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens. Right on. Hey, so I jump in on that? Yeah, go, go for it, Mr. Fortes.
6: Uh, like you, Rich. Knowing I got this pending sale coming, I've been educating myself, and I guess the like I'm 40 years old, right? So everyone around me right now, I even even investors in deals is talking to me about crypto. Mm-hmm. It, it's so insane that my brother in law, he's part of a crypto mastermind group, like it's a real legit one, where he's already up fifteen thousand. Mm-hmm. So it it's a lot of wins that I'm hearing. I only have to date no more than two hundred dollars in the game. It's because I'm like Rich said. You gotta understand what you what you're investing in. So I'm going in at it slowly. I don't care Good. about how fast it is, and I having less than a five hundred dollars in something. I'm cool with because I'm learning the game, the system. Yes. But it, it's just mind boggling. That's all I have. That's all I have. But like everybody around me is talking about it, but I'm not going all in with it.
0: Yeah. So looking at Dogecoin, so it's very volatile, right? I think um, last Friday it was had a high of 71 cents and a low of 33 cents. So for those of you that can imagine putting a hundred thousand dollars in buying that, at 33 and then selling at 71, you're making a pretty decent profit. You more than double your money. But imagine buying at 71 with 100K and then it drops to 33 cents. That's not fun. So it's very, very volatile. And Elon Musk has said as much, you need to be careful with investing in cryptocurrency. Do I think it's going away? Initially, when Bitcoin came out, I don't think a lot of people really believed that it was still gonna be around. Well, guess what? It's trading at, what, over $70,000 or at least it's been there before. I don't think it's going anywhere. And now they've got multiple types of Bitcoin. They got Bitcoin gold and all kinds of different variants of that. So I don't believe that it's going anywhere. You've got the blockchain behind it to make it very um, protective and, and safe for the investors. So it's a new way to invest. And I don't believe that it's going anywhere. My personal belief I don't know if Dogecoin is a long-term play or not, but for 1,000 dollars, I'll buy, you know, 50 cents, divided by 1,000 dollars, see how many coins I can get, and just park it. And I don't even care. I'm not going to look at the volatility. I don't care if it goes to dollar. Like a lot of people are saying they wanted to get to a dollar. Imagine if it gets to 150 dollars or 300 dollars at 1,000 coins at 50 cents. That's substantial. And a very minimal investment. But here's what I believe going to happen. It's going to get there, but it's going to take time. Let's go back to my original statement. How much money do you have to invest today? And when do you need it back? So for those of you day traders out there with a very volatile investment vehicle like crypto, you know you can make a lot of money. and You can also lose a lot of money. I don't have the time to ride the ups and the downs every single day. The other thing with crypto... It's not like the stock market where it's open from Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can buy crypto at midnight, at 2 a.m., at 5 a.m. It's always trading. Always trading. So it's a very different investment vehicle, but it's something that's very hip right now. And unlike any other investment vehicles, it's more driven by hype than anything else. So be careful what you guys invest in. You can make money you can also lose a lot of money too. But I can tell you one of the things that's very stable. Everybody needs a place to put their head. At the end of the night, they need a place to put their personal belongings. That's where we're going. That's why I'm investing in real estate. Real estate, real estate, real estate. And that's why we've got this podcast going. So let's go ahead and change uh, the conversation. Let me go ahead and ask the next question. What is... and And, and I want to ask this question because a lot of our listeners... They listen to us, but they don't realize how much effort goes into producing a podcast. And I'm going to call myself out. I haven't produced a podcast since our last mastermind. And I was going to talk about it, but I'm not going to monopolize this. I want to hear more from the people that are on this call. I'll have a separate podcast on my own brand about that. But let me go ahead and throw this question to Justin. What's something our listeners may not know about podcasting?
1: It takes uh repeated dedication over and over and over again and uh it's very easy to fall off that wagon and as soon as you right shannon's raising your hand here um that happened to me shannon and it, when i first launched my podcast i was super excited i got i don't know 20 episodes in and then i didn't record for like i didn't release an episode for like three months and it was like i should i want to but i'm going know, on I two months busy. for mine. listen, it's okay, right? It's okay. It eventually what, what figured out, what I, what helped me was figure out the process. I have a full-time virtual assistant that helps me with my podcast. He does other things for me uh, for the business. So it doesn't take him 40 hours a week, but all the editing, all the YouTube, all the graphics, social media posts, everything happens sort of behind the scenes. There's a lot that goes into it and you either pay for it or you don't do it or you spend the time to do it. And, and so then it's a question of how am I best spending my time? For me, my time is best spent doing the interview, having the interaction, building relationships like this, everything else I'd rather outsource. And I just, I just pay somebody to do it, but it's so easy to fall behind and you got to try to get ahead as best you can. I have 10 episodes recorded right now. So I know that if I didn't record until July, I'd
0: be okay. Wow. That's, that's so healthy and so awesome yeah. here. Um, yeah. let me throw that same question to Herman.
3: I do. We do the same thing as Justin. Uh, however, we're very, and I think because we've been in the military all our lives, we're very consistent and very disciplined from the beginning. We we were like, okay, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. And thinking that we want to go far, but, um, not pushing it, you know, uh, however we do outdoors tours, Everything from the uh, social media posts or the podcast, because everything else I, I do. But uh, I, I enjoy doing it. And I have the time. I'm, I'm already retired. I'm officially retired. So I'm in New Jersey with my parents. So I have the time to do it. But yeah, we outsource everything because it takes it takes a great amount of energy and effort to do it. And it's, it's not fun unless you really enjoy doing those editions and, and, and really listening to what you just you know went through. It takes a lot of time. So it's better to outsource it and just keep doing what really pays, which is talking to the people doing what we're doing right now. And to me, if, if somebody's gonna do a podcast to be consistent, you know, it, it does take effort, but if you outsource everything and, and, and you try to go somewhere, and you try to create content, you have to be consistent and, and know that it's a product that you want to put out there. If you wanna get better, I mean you have to keep doing it and doing it. So yeah, that's my that's my take on that.
0: Okay. I appreciate that, Herman. Let me throw it to John Fortes, because I think, John, you may have the most podcast episodes published of anyone on this podcast right now. What's your thoughts on the matter? I didn't
6: realize that I I personally edit and upload every episode, show notes, all that, whatever you see there I've been doing.
0: I do the same. And that's a pain in the ass. That's it, That's my least favorite part of this whole process. It is. I it, love talking I, to people, but producing it, editing it, You know, doing the social media posts, publishing it, it really takes three to five hours to do it right.
6: Yeah, it's killing my Sundays right now when I want to just hang out with the family. And to be honest, I'm in talks with different companies to get a customized package because my podcast isn't very long. So I don't want it to fit in in a box of two 30 minute packages, blah, 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 and this and that. And I'm just like, no, I'm not even that long. I'm not even going to eat up all those minutes. So I'm being very picky and and I'm negotiating. So I'm talking to one right now who's going to, we're in talks right now where we're trying to repurpose content. I have a lot of content. Every podcast that I do, I do videos for as well. And my YouTube channel really doesn't have a lot of videos. So it's all audio. So I'm trying to get that going and break that up into little mini episodes and little i'm trying man i'm trying and i know you do the same thing shannon i know how exhausting it is and you know you get it it's the it's the sweat equity that we're putting it into this to make it grow and in the beginning it's fun because i loved listening to the conversations again before they aired and then being able to really refine the title for it for that episode and i i thought i you know i really enjoyed that and i still do but i don't enjoy the time that i'm losing to my family
0: I agree 100%. I, I couldn't agree anymore. And going through and recording is fun. But producing and editing, you know, I'm in this office that you guys can see for three to five hours because I really want to produce a high quality product. Anything that I do in my personal life, guys, pers- so you get to know me a little bit better, even in business with my W2, I do to the best of my ability. I don't fuck around. And so I don't want to half-ass it. And I've heard some other podcasts I listen to where there's obvious mistakes. I would not be able to live myself if I publish an episode and I'm like flubbing my words or I can't produce something. Where I re-record sometimes little segments of my podcast to make sure that it's perfect. I don't know that outsourcing it will give me that biggest bang for the buck, but it's because I care so much. But at the same time, Maybe the world doesn't care if there was a flub there. Maybe it's just on me. So there's a fine balance there. Rich, I, I what's think your- that
1: might be a, uh, just sorry, before we go, I want yeah, to go ahead, go ahead, Justin, please. Sure. But I, I think that might be after a mental hurdle that you'll have to get over and you have to decide what is more important, right? The occasional flub that gets in. And by the way, flubs like, Listen, it shows that you're a real person. We all stumble over our words. It happens. You're forming thoughts as you're talking. It's not that easy, right? You're thinking, you're reacting, you're thinking about what to say next. There's a lot of pieces that go into it. So I don't think it's that bad if you flub over and say, oh, let me retake that or say it this way. I think that's okay. Then you, the bigger picture that is like, where are you putting your time and your energy and is how is it supporting your goals? If your goal is to have a perfect podcast and you don't care how long it takes or what time you're spending, fine. But if you got family, which I know you do, and other obligations, you might want to, you know, pull down on on one or two levers and and see what works for you and try it out.
0: Well said, Justin. Fair Thank enough. you for that. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah.
2: Yeah, fair enough, brother. Uh Mr. Summers, what do you think? Everything that you guys really said, I agree with, you know, you have a podcast editor who edits all, all of our podcasts, but you know, we're doing everything else on our own. So between the three of us, my, one of my roles is, is the podcast solely. So, you know, I'm reaching out to guests, I'm making sure the editor has the files when he sends them back. I have to, you know, go and listen to them, make sure that they're done correctly, release it write the little, you know, summary, make sure it's uploaded correctly, and then go in and clip out some of the highlights to make audiograms for the social media. So doing all that myself right now, the guys and I, you know, talked like, I think once we take down the next deal, we'll probably look to, you know, hire a lot of that stuff out and bring someone on a team member that can take over the podcast and do a lot of the admin stuff that that we don't like doing.
0: Yeah. If I was a GP, 100%, I would be down that route because As a GP, you want the investors to get to know your personality, know how you think as an investor, and hear your thought process on the market, on investing, on cap rates, on assets, on everything. And so having a podcast for me as a limited partner, I can silently look at your resume and listen and hear your thought process and decide, you know what, this group is more in line with my thinking than this other group. Daisy and Luke, what do you guys think?
5: I did video editing when I was in high school. So that always, that helped early on, just being able to edit things and, and do all of that. So that was kind of a blessing. At this point, we're, I mean, geez, I don't know, we probably, we're in the fifties in terms of episodes released, but we have recorded over 70 at this point. Like we're pretty far out. But yeah, we were we're actually just having a discussion yesterday about this because like we have, we have a business plan and like it goes down to like quarterly and like even weekly things that we have going on. And I was saying like, yeah, well, I gotta like this isn't this isn't the best use of my time. I should not be doing this. Like that's to the point where it's getting because it's not my highest and best use. Ultimately, I enjoy doing it. Like I really do. Like for me, it's fun.
4: Yeah, and I want to say he does everything with the podcast. I book the guests, which I love because I'm reaching out, you know, having conversations with people. But Luke is our IT department for Make It Rain Capital, so he does the editing, the publishing, the everything that's behind the scenes.
5: Yeah, and I mean, I, I you know, in some sense, it's not fair to it's not fair to the business, so to speak, to the company for me to continue doing it. That's to the point where I'm getting it. It's like, it's better for me to be talking to brokers to diving deep into underwriting, to be talking to investors. That's the highest and best use. So yeah, we're, we're getting there. It's just a matter of figuring out what that looks like, you know, because like John's talked about, it's like, I start talking to people. It's like this whole process. It's like, if you're, you know, doing value add and you're getting all these you know, okay, well, I, have, I have to decipher all that. It's a process to go through, of course, but it's something that's definitely, you know, high, high on high on the radar, something, a, a hurdle to get over here moving forward.
6: Shane. It's a damn shame, Luke. I was about to hire you guys. <laughs> <laughs> was all, I was already. I was there.
4: <laughs> and the one well, thing I'll add is that, you know, now that we've been doing the podcast, right, as, as you all have been to for a while, it's a lot easier and a lot more relaxing to be a guest on a podcast than to host a podcast right when you're a host you're thinking okay what's next where's the conversation going what's the next question you know taking notes right to try to not forget you know there's more that's going to be added so then you know where to go back to and as a guest you get to enjoy the conversation so for all of the podcasts that we record i always go back and re-listen to them because that's when i enjoy it right when i can It's done, it's published, and I can go back and and listen to our conversations with people. And that's when I take a lot of those nuggets away when
0: I do listen. And you guys are everywhere. I saw uh, Luke, you were on Whitney Souls podcast. And Daisy, you were on a couple other high like multifamily syndicator podcasts. So you guys are freaking everywhere. And right now, if there's anyone listening on my personal podcast and you don't follow Daisy and Luke, you guys are making a huge mistake. These guys are the future of multifamily syndications without a doubt. They are go-getters. They're so dedicated to the craft. You really got to follow these guys because if you want to follow somebody from the infancy to, the, to, I guess, the motherland, so to speak, follow these guys because they're doing such an amazing job,
6: 100%. I got one question. Do you guys experiment with different things? And how do you guys come up with your questions? Because I, as a listener, I'd be like, how, how do you guys do that? I want to hear what you guys think first. Herman,
3: yeah, what do you think? man, I honestly, we want to learn and we want to hear what you don't get from books, you know, which is the actionable steps. Like tell me what is it that you did from from A to Z, and obviously you cannot cover that and but tell me something that I'm not gonna find in a book, you know, I'm not gonna find by listening to uh, a, a YouTube video. Or, or things like that, you know because I mean we, we start from the story and then we jump into okay, if I wanted to do it, what's the first step? you know and then and then kind of guide me through it and tell me what it is that you went through. Th- that's where we base our questions, but we don't have a, a strict guideline where, where okay, this is the next question it, it, wherever it takes us, but we want to know exactly actionable steps.
0: So for me personally, there's no podcast I've learned more from than the Multifamily Takeoff. And if you start listening to their first episode, because I was an early listener, uh, and I think I've shared with you, Rich, I think I started listening to your very first episode. You can hear the questions that they're asking their guests. They're trying to learn as well. And so I feel like the questions that I have, they actually ask. So I'm learning. And a lot of what I know about this space, and I want to credit you, Mike Ty, and Sean Martel, Rich... You guys do a phenomenal job. You guys are excellent, excellent, excellent in interviewing some of the very best multifamily uh, personalities and influencers in this space. And I've learned a tremendous amount from how you guys do things.
2: What's been your secret sauce? Well, first of all, I appreciate the kind words, Shannon, you know, You're exactly right. So when we started the podcast, we were brand new in this space. And we really just... We have some structure to our our episodes. You know, We usually start with the guest background and we usually end with the 4 same set of questions we ask every guest. But in between all of that, it's very free-flowing. And we really just ask questions that we personally have. And it's been great though. I mean, we've learned so much from all of our guests. Our our mentor and co-sponsor on on this last deal, we met John Azar early on. He was one of our podcast guests. And yeah, over the last 12 months, John and, and Tony Azar have really taught us everything they know. It's just been incredible. And the other thing about multifamily is. And you guys know this as well as all these investors out there, whether they're limited partners, or general partners, or maybe they're just investing in smaller deals on their own. Everyone, the community is so, so helpful. And everyone is so positive and uplifting. They want others to succeed as well, which is something I, I don't think it's talked about enough.
0: I agree 100%. And it's absolutely authentic too. I mean, look at everyone on this podcast right now. I mean, technically, other than myself, all of you guys are competitors. All of you guys are GP syndicators to a certain extent. We're all sharing information. We're all being transparent and holistically humble and honest. And I believe that with a group, we get more. We can achieve more. I think, you know, American society may be sometimes, you know, very eco But if you share, you know, you can really get ahead faster. And I think that's important. I want to pivot a little bit and talk about... Can I just add real
1: quick, Shannon? Yeah. Yep. You know... I think that if you have that mentality where if you win, that doesn't mean I lose, right? And chances are there's a way that you can win and I can win together. And so can Daisy and so can John. And like we can all work in different ways and add value and win in a hundred different ways. So, yes, we might all be in the same business, but we're all in different areas doing different things. But even if we were in the same market going after the same deals, there's still ways that we can all help each other and win together. So we all have that mentality. And I think most of the successful people do have that mentality of how can we all win together? And, and that's those are the kind of people I want to work with.
0: Well, here's the thing. I mean, one day, you don't know, but like one day I could be part of one of your syndications on a GP side, yep. um, helping in investor relations or whatever, like, or uh, two of you guys could partner up and take on a bigger deal. Instead of 150 unit you're doing a 300 unit, but you couldn't do Sorry. it by yourself. You need more resources, more investors, the CRM from another GP group. So there's all kinds of different ways to accomplish your goals, but working with somebody that you would traditionally view as your competitor is definitely a way to get where you want to go faster. 100%. Let me go and switch to a different question because I really want to get into this because there's been a lot of huge announcements since our very last podcast. There's been some major developments in some of the attendees here. And I want to talk about some big wins. I want to go ahead and throw it to Daisy and Luke. You guys have some pretty big news on the real estate investing front. You guys want to share your good news with our listeners.
4: Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to share. Shannon recently closed uh, on a 42 unit in Austin, right down the street, actually, from where we live, not even 10 minutes. So yeah, it's been amazing. I think it's been a huge learning opportunity, right? Just going through the process and, you know, having the partnerships that we have and and now going from that limited partner, right, uh, side of the industry to now being on the gp side so we're right almost at a month from date of closing and have already taken over property and are starting the the construction piece here pretty soon so yeah lots lots going on on that end for sure
5: yeah and i would add i mean for us moving from california to texas was so that way we could end up being on the active side of things because what we saw was that when people were central to their markets that they they were able to progress quicker it seemed than potentially would have happened. Otherwise somebody has to be local. And so we decided, okay, well, we're going to be the local ones. And, and it felt like, you know, proof positive of the strategy that we ended up having there. Sharon.
0: So what's been the the first 30 days of your investment? What's it been like for you guys so far?
5: Well, it's a, I'd say it's a lot of communication. Daisy handles the vast majority of it. Like I have a full-time, you know, Daisy. She
0: rocks, by the way. She's so, she's so good at that.
5: <laughs> yeah. I'm with you on that. I, I definitely agree. And, uh, so, she handles most of literally the day-to-day or weekly things that are going on so i'll kind of let her hit
4: it yeah i would i would back up a little bit more shannon because i think one of the biggest uh learning opportunities for for us going through the process has been the back-end processes and procedures having those in place uh you know even from you know something as simple as the investor portal right having a, a way to be able to communicate get soft commitments track right just to be able to keep uh, track of, of everything that's coming in and, and it's going out. So as all of you know, right, you can start on a spreadsheet, but once you get big, a spreadsheet isn't gonna do it, right? So I would say that has been one of the, the biggest um, learning opportunities for us, right? In terms of you know going into the steel that's a little bit on the smaller side, being able to really have all of those in place, right? Have a very strong uh, hold on all of our back-end operation side and then be able to, you know, better execute on, on the other side. Uh, but in terms of once we, you know, acquired, we were actually co-sponsored. So the sweet part about this deal is that we're not leading, right? We're not the leads on this one. And so it's a perfect uh, opportunity for us because it gives us a chance to come in, to learn, right, to shadow, to be on those asset management calls, to be on those construction management calls, you know, to really understand that submarket very well and be a lot more prepared able to move forward on the leadership side right uh, once we acquire the the next one so it's really helped even i would say with you know having that that um that that track record with mm-hmm. brokers right because now from pre you know pre acquisition to post acquisition those conversations with brokers now are very different as well so there's so many small wins that it's hard to even quantify i think it's just you know an ongoing process but so far it's been just learning so much learning absorbing as much as we can and just being able to now apply it for the next one going forward
0: what was the number of units for your first deal you said 42 okay so where i come from in north carolina 42 is not small you had mentioned it was a small deal don't marginalize it it's a huge success I'm very proud of you guys. I have never freaking bought 42 units. And co-sponsor or no sponsor, you guys made it happen. And I'm so proud of you guys. And that's awesome. You're taking action and you've got your first indication on your belt. This is huge. It's absolutely huge. So I'm so proud of you guys. I'm so excited to see how it turns out. I think there's um one other podcast here that just took down a rather big acquisition. I want to say it was the
2: Multifamily Takeoff. Am I correct? absolutely yeah so it was a pack three capital which is our our syndication business and uh, this was our first acquisition uh, 150 units in greensboro north carolina last week Uh, How we found this deal was a little bit interesting. So like I alluded to before, John Azar was one of our early podcast guests. And since then, him and Tony Azar have been teaching us literally everything they know. And these guys have bought north of 8,000 units over the years. They've taught us everything from how to source deals, how to raise capital, how to underwrite, how to attract investors, how to asset management. And You know, we've been looking at a lot of deals. Uh, We've passed on a lot of deals over the last year. We've made some runs at some deals that we liked and they actually penciled, submitted a ton of LOIs, but we have not, up until this point, we're not able to get anything under contract. And uh, as you guys know, I mean, this this space is very, very competitive, uh, especially since COVID because we saw interest rates tick down, um, which deals at a certain price point did not pencil before COVID. Now, all of a sudden pencil. You got other asset classes that have been struggling, such as office retail, hospitality. And so a lot of the investors that were investing in those asset classes, it's hard to get those deals debted up now. And so now they're looking for other avenues to place their money. They're looking for industrial and multifamily, which has made it very, very competitive. I mean, it was very common for us to find a deal that was broker listed, going through the entire marketing process. They might have 50 property tours and 35 offers. And it's just so hard. And I mean, just to win one of those deals, I mean, you have to overpay, right? So Tony, they've been selling a lot of their deals over the last you know, year or so. And so this particular one, we hopped on a call and he said, hey guys, I need to sell or refinance this deal in Greensboro. I bought it five years ago. Do you guys want to buy it? And we said, yeah, we would love to take a look. So it's funny because Tony is actually a very strict underwriter and very, very conservative. So we used his conservative approach with negotiating the price and we're able to come to an agreement. And yeah, it works out great. It's a C-class deal, 1970s vintage in Greensboro. It's a uh, townhome style community. So all the units are very large. Most of them are two and three bedrooms north of a thousand square foot. I mean, it has a huge value add play by going in and renovating the interiors. And then the other value add play For us is we're going to go in and some meter for water um, and then we're going to spruce up the amenities as well so this was our first one it was a 12.7 million dollar purchase and a four million dollar equity raise
0: wow so for your very first syndication 12.7 million dollars and you raised four million absolutely amazing
2: man absolutely well thank you so we didn't raise the whole four so like the gps put a a good chunk in tony azar who co-sponsored it he put a chunk of his own money in as well so our equity raise was less than the four but still, you made
0: it happen. And Absolutely. I don't want to discredit that at all. Again, you're out there. You're a mover and a shaker. You're making it happen. I remember listening to you guys. Again, I was one of your first uh, listeners to your podcast. I, I knew you guys were leaning towards trying to take down your own syndication. You've done it. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, which you guys have done it. It's amazing. Congratulations, man. I appreciate
6: I that. When the sellers still want to be part of the deal. Mm -hmm. that's a real good right
2: (laughs) absolutely and honestly all the credit goes goes to john and and tony azar and our our investors and also my my great partners sean and mike but the cool thing is is i mean the biggest takeaway is this is like you never know what kind of opportunities or doors are going to open up for you it's something as simple as hosting a podcast and having a guest on right and look what that led to and now we're really getting to know these guys and guess what we're buying another one from them so we have another one, 145 units right down the street from this one that Tony's like, Hey, I need to sell a refi. Do you guys want to buy this one also? So we're going to do the same thing and uh, take this one down next. So we're excited. Congrats. Awesome. Congratulations.
0: That's, congratulations. Thank you. Guys.
2: Big Thank That's you. awesome. Big
0: yeah. um, real quick for our listeners. How many deals did you underwrite rich before you guys decided
2: to pull the trigger on the Greensboro deal? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I do a lot of the sourcing of deals and I'm in charge of the broker relationships. And then Sean Martel is our underwriter. So I would say during the last year, we were looking at anywhere from 5 to 10 deals a week. Of those 5 or 10, we would probably do a deep dive into 1 or 2. Wow.
0: That's crazy. Well, congratulations, my friend. I'm super pumped for you guys. Let's go ahead and switch gears. And um, actually, I want to stick with you, Rich, and then we'll pivot to some other questions. But you recently left a cush job, right? You were making well into the six figures as an air traffic controller, and you decided to chase your passion in real estate. And I haven't followed up with you. I think you and I, I remember I was walking around in my driveway and you were telling me about your dreams and your ideas. And you're like, man... Like, I want to do this, I want to do that in real estate. You know, that's where my passion lies, but I've got a great job. And I've heard other entrepreneurs say that the way that people trick you is by paying you like a high salary, right? That's how they keep you, you know, you're making them rich versus the other way
2: around. What's been your story thus far? Do you want to share a little bit of it or do you want me to edit this out? No, absolutely. I'm I'm happy to share, man. I'm I'm an open book because that's how we learn, right? Yeah, so it was uh December of last year. I walked away from the uh, air traffic control job. Did it for 11 years they pay you a pension if you do it for 25. So I really thought I, that was my thing until I got into real estate investing and so decided to leave. Since then, it's been great, man. I've always been in retail. Like I've always worked weekends and holidays. So in high school, I worked retail jobs. In college, I was in sales. And then with this job, it's it's 24 hours around the clock. So I've missed so many friends and family outings over the years because of work. And so the time freedom and the ability to rekindle relationships and go, you know, connect and attend certain outings with friends and family has been incredible. Um, so I've been doing a lot of that, been able to work out and focus more on my health. Um, I'm eating cleaner. Time has really, really just slowed down. I'm getting good sleep again. You know, air traffic control is one of the most stressful jobs out there. And for the 11 years, people would always ask me like, Hey, is it stressful? And I would always play it off. Like, "Oh, it's, it's not that bad. And I never thought it was stressful until I left. And looking back, I'm like, man, you just don't realize when you're working 50, 60 hours a week and then trying to build a a portfolio and real estate on the side and then still have a social life and focus on your health. I mean, you're really too busy to process what's going on. And so I guess the main takeaway for me is time has really, really slowed down for me. And uh, it's been an amazing feeling. Awesome. Well, congratulations to you, man, for taking that big leap. That's awesome.
0: And we wish you nothing but the most success. Um, let me go ahead and turn to Justin. Justin, you can now walk into a Starbucks without wearing a mask. And yeah. that's pretty insane. It's been like masked like everywhere, like every anywhere it's you like, go in public, it's been like masked up.
1: For the listeners, this is like breaking news from a day or two ago, right? This is yeah, pretty recent. Yeah. I, think I mean, these- not all of us are in Florida. Well, for the rest of us, things have been pretty locked down.
0: Yeah, man. Well, I heard uh, Monday, actually today was um, maskless Monday. You've got the Walmart, Target, uh, Starbucks, and some other big retailers where you can now walk. If you've been vaccinated, you can walk without a mask within their buildings. So let me ask you the, the bigger question related to real estate. What do you think this will do in terms of capital markets? And when I mean capital markets, I'm talking about the stock market. What kind of impact do you feel like that's going to have on the stock market?
1: Man, I have no idea. And I am not ashamed to tell you that it's not an area of my expertise. I know multifamily asset management, I'm not even going to pretend to to make a guess on the stock market and and how masks play into it. I've got Maybe good, maybe bad. I don't know. I've got blinders on, and I'm I'm just focused on my lane. And and uh, you know I've I've diversified. I've got some money in the stock market. If it goes up, it goes up. If it goes down, it goes down. Like you said, I'm not I'm not cashing out tomorrow, so I'm not terribly worried about it. Maybe that's wrong, but that's that's how I feel.
0: Fair enough. Let me try to unpack that a little bit. So for my personal belief, I just see a lot of optimism right now. I see a lot of people that you know can go shop at their grocery store without wearing a mask, right? Someone's not pointing or shaming at them. And I also see like like NFL like games or like concerts coming back and certain like I don't know, large gatherings coming back. I feel like America is starting to wake up a little bit. And for the past year or so, we've kind of been segregated from each other. And I see this as being a very positive thing. Now the recent job reports that came out, they were expecting to add I felt, like right around a million uh new jobs uh in America, but it was like right around a quarter of a million. So it was not really positive. But I do feel like as things start to improve, those I guess those subsidies that everyone's getting paid, you know, like the payments and everything, they're going to go away. People are going to start to find jobs. People are going to start to spend money again. They're going to be getting out. And I do feel like this is going to have a positive impact, maybe short term, of course, on the capital markets. But I also believe on the back end of that is going to be hanging around is going to be our cousin inflation. Because when money floods the markets, right? you have a limited amount of goods and a whole bunch of money, the cost of those goods are going to go up because there's only a certain amount of money that can buy those finite amount of goods. So where my mind is going, and I'd like anyone and and anyone that has a thought on this can weigh in, where my mind is going is that potentially on the horizon, maybe two years, maybe three interest rates are going to start to be raised by the Fed. Anyone want to weigh in on that? Mr. Fortes? Uh,
6: The last I heard was it's going to be like this for a little while. So with your two-year timeline, you're probably right in line with that. You know, but who knows? I mean, when everything clears up, I mean, they can make a decision and do something else very quickly. So just play it by what we could do and, like Rich, take advantage of what you can when you can and make sure you underwrite it right.
0: Daisy and Luke, is that something you guys are concentrated on? Where the capital markets are going in the future?
5: I mean, it's something that I think about just because I think that just plays into everything that we do. The next, you know, the next couple of years. I this is just my own belief, just looking at what's happened in other industrialized countries. And I'm not an expert by any means, obviously, right? Sure. But everywhere else has lower negative interest rates. You know, I mean, I'm thinking 10 years from now, like that's just generally where i see things going there's only so much of a lever that they can end up pulling to try to drive um a lot of growth and of course there's going to be like there'll be inflation but it, if you look at it, the past 50 years it just gets lower and lower and lower it'll be there eventually i, I just don't see how it wouldn't you know and i'm not a I'm not an economist you know I'm, I'm just looking at what other people have spoken about and then what's happened in other other industrialized countries over the past several decades
0: daisy
4: nothing to comment on
0: this one Okay. <laughs> well, this no, is definitely... But, a- but, but Go ahead, John.
6: Quickly, right? Right before we got hit with this pandemic, rates were going up anyways, right? It was slightly creeping up. It wasn't going down because I remember you know, trying to refinance an a personal investment property that I have in rates weren't moving. So I couldn't get a better rate. And now that they're really low, obviously a bunch of people took advantage of it. And like Luke said it could be here for a long time but i don't know it you know you got to look at the 10 year treasury and you know read the pensford uh, monday morning report every week and that gives you some really good hindsight
0: you guys have heard of the inverted yield curve have you heard of that where it's predicting like a recession and all those different things. What I look at really is, you know, looking at interest rates and like, that's really the Fed's way to stop inflation because when interest rates are raised, people are paying more for the things that they buy, which means that they feel less wealthy, which means they stop investing and it slows down economic growth. It slows down the economy, which means people stop spending things. So that means there's more goods in the marketplace. And so the cost of goods goes down. So I believe right now as... And this is my personal prediction. Maybe I'm a little MBA snob. You guys can see my shirt on. But I personally believe that over the next two, three years, as the economy starts to roar, because it's going to, nothing really has changed. I mean, we stopped one of the world's best economies ever uh, because of the pandemic. and And it was the right thing to do. But I do believe that all those same fundamentals are still present. I do believe that we're going to come roaring out of this thing, and we're going to have a great next two years. I think eventually interest rates are going to start to hike up a little bit. My personal prediction, I can be completely wrong, but guess what? People smarter than me predicted things and they've been wrong too, so I'm okay with that. (laughs) Anyway, Rich, you want to add anything to that, brother?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'll say this. I mean, it's been well-documented over the the last you know, 20, 30 years that the Fed really is targeting a 2% inflation rate annually. right? And so if you look at the peak of the last cycle, 2007 till now, the inflation rate really has averaged about one5 to 2%, which is exactly where they want to be. So even with the printing of money that occurred in the 2008 recession, interest rates still stayed low and the inflation rate never really creeped up over the the 2% benchmark. So, you know, it's, I'm speculating here, so I could be wrong, but I believe interest rates are gonna remain relatively low for quite some time. I think we might see a tick up or two, maybe 25 to 50 basis points, but overall, I don't see interest rates going up uh, too much over the next, you know, five to 10 years.
0: Awesome, I hope you're right. My mom and dad, they just locked in at, um, refinanced their house at a 30-year fixed, two and a half percent interest rate which is phenomenal. And I tried to call and get that same deal. And they're like 3.25%. <laughs> but my, my dad served in the military. So he had the VA hookup. God bless our troops. Let's go ahead and switch to a real estate question. So where are cap rates headed in the next year? I'm going to go ahead and throw this to Mr. Herman. Where do you think cap rates are headed? Are they going to further compress or are they going to decompress slightly? What do you think, brother?
3: Uh, man, I don't know. I, I, I got my blinders on too. And and I don't like to speculate. You hear, you know, really smart people going, they they say they're going to compress. They say they're going to keep compressing. Some people are going to say they're going to, they're going to shoot up our uh, mentor and coach, Bill Hamm. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He's with, uh, Mm -hmm. Jake and Gino. He talked about the, uh, the K effect where, you know, there's going to be, depending on, on the type of assets, uh, some caps are going to go up. Some cups are going uh, to go down. And again, I'm not, I'm not the smartest guy in the room ever. And I think that's a, a really good opportunity for me to learn from a lot of people, but I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not willing to speculate on, on what the markets are going I can play by what's going on today. Yeah. I, I, don't, I wouldn't be able to answer that. Question.
0: Justin, what do you think?
3: Yeah. You know, the way that we're
1: seeing so much interest on properties that we are actually we're we're selling one uh, right now, and the the properties that we're competing on, I mean prices are <laughs> prices are not going down, right? And so I don't see. I think that we're all. What's actually going to happen is that you know when we when we price our deals, we base it on investor return, and so I think that's the investors are going to have to start thinking, OK, instead of that sort of 15 to 20 IRR that you know we might have been talking about five years ago, now it might be a 12 IRR, right? Maybe more cash flow. And that's sort of what we've been talking to our investors about, which means I can pay a little bit more for that asset because I'm getting beat out on every deal that I go after, small and large. And they're so competitive. There's so many bidders that we have to start readjusting the baseline with our investors so that I can pay more, so that just means you know prices are going to keep going up. <laughs> That's my experience.
0: Well, the good news is we've got someone that has e s p on the podcast tonight, and that is Mr. Fortez. Mr. Oh, Fortez is about to showcase for us and everyone listening where cap rates are going the next year and beyond, Mr. Fortez.
6: Well, there's a reason why we use the terminal value when we're underwriting as a worser asset when we're exiting because we can't predict that right that's that's where i'm going that's it man we use a worse cap rate on the exit yes when we are underwriting and, and yes the reason and why and just unpack that,
0: that real quick i 100 percent agree john as a limited partner because right now i don't have any aspirations to be a gp I just don't have the time. It wouldn't be fair to the investors. It really wouldn't be fair to the investors or the GP group that I was a part of to be a part of it right now. But as a limited partner looking at these deals, I want to see the worst case scenario and where my IRR is. I want to see a 1% decompression of that cap rate. And am I still making money or am I in the negative? And thank you, John, for saying that because that's something that limited partners that are listening to my podcast, traditionally, most of my listeners, they need to understand that. Can you unpack that a little bit more and under explain to them the sensitivity analysis that uh, general partners do in their pitch decks?
6: Yeah, you you hit it right there. You said the sensitivity analysis. That was the keyword right there. So they're going to show you the fluctuations on every cap rate scenario where it's the best case and the worst case. and Sometimes they have three different charts to show that, basically showing you IRR, showing you cap rate, and there's another analysis. Uh, metric that they use. I just can't. I think it's cash on cash as well. So I don't know exactly how it originated, but I know I started seeing that really heavy the last two years. Everything I've seen before that, it was just basically almost just a terminal value with not a sensitivity chart, sensitivity analysis chart. And now you see that it's the norm going forward. The sensitivity analysis, but we do the valuation of the say it's a five-year hold. We say one, uh, basically a half basis point for every year worse. So like if we bought right. it for a five, a five cap, we're exiting at a five, two five, I think. So
2: so five basis got, yeah, points a year.
6: Yeah, five basis points. Sorry. Yes. Thank you. So yeah. So we're we're showing the worse scenario, worst case scenario. But what's really happening is too, you're underwriting with some sort of aggressiveness to have that come into play as well. So what some underwriters do is they they do an aggressive scenario as far as rent capture, what we can turn, what we can achieve. But they're doing that because they know that they can negotiate the great interest rate on the loan. So if everybody else is getting a three, they might be able to buy more points to get a 2.7 and built in that space to do that. But also on the exit, the terminal value, they're putting it there just in case and it evens everything out. So they are really underwriting conservatively, but yet with a sort of aggressive style to it. So you got to have a happy medium there. So I know I went a little bit around that just to get to exactly why we do that.
0: Awesome. Okay. I appreciate that. Well, let's go ahead and uh, move to the end of our podcast episode. This has kind of been a lengthy one. And uh, I'm gonna go ahead and ask a couple of questions that everyone will answer. And then we'll go ahead and end this podcast. So what's the most important thing for you and your business or investing career right now? And I'm gonna go ahead and kind of go around my screen. So I'm gonna go ahead and start with Herman. What's the most most important thing for you and your business investing career right now.
3: Uh, time, man. Uh, I think I've reached a point where I have the time of the uh, of my life. I'm right there with Rich. Where um, I mean, I'm actually retired. So I'm about to become very valuable to to our business in regards to that. I'll have the opportunity to travel uh, whenever and wherever uh, I'm needed. Uh, and that's basically what my brother and I were were trying to get to. And, and now I feel like. I'll be able to do it, so
0: that's the most important right now Awesome Luke and Daisy i I'll, I'll let Daisy go first.
4: Yeah, I mean I would say for us the most important thing is just to to finish all those back end you know, procedures, right? And and processes, and, you know, we're we're thinking about potentially bringing in a fund and John has been a huge help on that end. So, just getting all of that up and running, right? And so then that way, you know, for us, the more we can do now, right? And and get those back end pieces in place, then the more quickly we can move forward when we, you know, as we continue to to find other deals, right? um it'll be a lot smoother on,
5: on that end yeah i mean and i would say for me it, and this is no shit like literally my relationship with daisy is the most important thing um because yeah. if i mean <laughs> if we don't if we're not a husband and a wife first like there is no making rain ultimately so it's like keeping that you know
0: front i love center, you guys
5: it's easy for me to get outside of that and be like busy you know i'm a guy right like i'm like oh yeah let's do this let's do that <laughs> but making sure that like our relationship is, is paramount and then everything after
0: that is what comes. I love that. That's awesome. Mr. Fortez.
6: It's uh, the relationships. It's the, the networking. So that's the most important aspect right now for me outside of investing in myself uh, because I feel like I'm still young. I can learn a lot more and I'm just trying to see, I'm trying to maximize that potential to see uh, where I can, where I can actually go with myself. So I know it's a little selfish, but also at the same time, the the relationship aspect of it is, I think we touched on it earlier, no telling what type of deal this group does in the future because of what we started on the first podcast together. So it's very important to me to continue to cultivate relationships.
2: Love it. Uh, Mr. Summers. I'm going to piggyback off of exactly what John said. I 100% agree. For me, it's really, truly all about the relationships, the networking, and building those genuine friendships with with everyone involved in this business whether it's your investors who who always come first in our opinion you know the property management team the the lenders the the residents that live at these properties that you go in and and fix up i mean everyone involved you know and and so to me that's what it's really all about it's the people and it's the relationships that you get to build along the way
0: awesome thank you and mr fraser
1: wow so many great answers probably a little bit of all of them But for me right now in my business, I'm working on scalability and replication so I can pull myself out of some of the day-to-day and for anyone that's not listening to my my podcast or my show, but I'm basically building a business within our syndication business. So I'm building an asset management business that supports my investing and my my syndication as a, as a GP. And so now you know we're working on a new deal. This will be the first time I bring on a new asset manager, where instead of me being asset manager and doing all the doing in the day-to-day, I'm bringing in someone else that is taking on my processes and systems and, and all of that, that I'll then be overseeing in more of like a portfolio manager role, but also as an investor you know, on that project. And so that for me is a, a big step in the right direction where I can start to replicate myself and bring in the right team members and keep control, but not doing. And that's something that I'm I'm always working on is to, to, to let the reins go. Cause I am a little bit of a control freak about those things. And so for me, it's the, the more I can let go, I know things get better. Uh, so I'm working on that. That's
0: awesome. Upsetting. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Justin. And I have my very last question when the podcast, keep it oh, short.
6: No. Oh no. What are you working on?
0: Oh, shit. <laughs> not John, John, not letting Shannon off the hook. I love it. <laughs> I was hoping to skip that. What am I working on? oh man in my investing career trying to diversify i'm heavily in real estate right now again i mentioned crypto because i 'm really interested in that to be honest with you i'm approaching it cautiously and responsibly and i'm also evaluating some other investment opportunities as well that's pretty much it you know that's you know i i'm all in in real estate like most of you guys are and i'll be in it for a long time because of the length of the investments that i'm in They've all been paying me. I haven't been stiffed on anything yet. So far, it's been a good experience, but I know that it's not always going to be rosy. So how do I pivot? How do I prepare for the future? And I think that's what I'm looking at more than anything else. How can I be the very best investor for my family that I can be? Because the time away from my family, I need to have a return on that. And uh, that's what I'm doing.
2: So Love um, that. I got, I got another question for you, Shannon. Oh, what, sure. uh, what kind of red wine are you drinking?
0: <laughs> it's a it's a nice cabernet sauvignon um love that. yeah my wife and i love cabs uh it's just kind of uh pinot a little too light uh zinfandel a little too zesty and i get heartburn cabs are just right and um i love a good cab i think i just usually have one one glass before i, I sleep and it's fantastic very nice yeah man All right. So last question and then we'll end the podcast. And uh, thank you everybody for staying on so long. I know our listeners appreciate that. And we'll keep this super short. What's one goal completely unrelated to real estate? I don't want to hear anything about real estate or business or anything. What's one goal unrelated to real estate that you're silently pursuing? And I will go first so I don't get blamed for not sharing. I am trying to flat bench 315 pounds. I've been skinny fat my entire life, meaning I drink too much beer, and I've got bad shoulders. I'm 43 years old. I'm at 300 pounds right now. I can bench press 300 pounds. I want to bench press 315 pounds. I will get there hopefully one day. We will see. And that's that's not the wine talking
2: either. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Let's go to Mr. Frazier.
1: I am uh, working on a a family goal. We are uh, picking up and moving out of state, moving down to North Carolina, uh, your home state, there, Shannon. And yes, so, awesome. Where? Uh, just outside of Raleigh, and so that Oh, my is, parents live in Wake Forest. Oh uh, well, we're gonna have to uh, go hang out over there.
0: Sometime. Yeah, man. Yeah, um, I'll look you up when I'm I'm there
1: for sure. So we're like, yeah, we're about a month out from that right now. So uh, so really just working towards getting all that lined up, building a house. We're going to be building a house down there. And so that's, it's really exciting. And uh, so it's, it's real estate, but it's personal real estate. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's becoming a lot of fun. It's a cool thing for for my wife and I to do right now is working on that.
0: Congratulations. And when you get you. there, you're going to re-listen to this episode, Smithfield Chicken and Barbecue. Right. You're welcome.
2: Got it. Let's go to Mr. <laughs> Richie Summers. I'm I'm looking to pick up uh, kite surfing uh, just as a hobby. They do a lot of kite surfing out here in the San Diego Bay, as long as the the wind is enough. And uh, I got a little sailing background. I used to be a sailing instructor when I was younger and uh, I used to skate and snowboard. So I, I think I could pick it up quickly, but I do hear it is a very, very challenging hobby to learn. Um, so I think what I'm going to do is just, you know, take step one and, and that's go sign up for a couple of lessons and, and see if I like it.
0: That sounds awesome. That's actually really cool. Cooler than Justin and I's goals. So
2: good he for said, you for he sure. Said, he
6: said it was a <laughs> sailing instructor when you were younger. Dude, you're like twenty five. How old were you when you were younger?
2: <laughs> I think I'm I'm actually thirty five. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was when I was younger and uh, used to used to teach some kids, help some kids uh, learn how to sail, that sort of thing. It's fun. It's fun to get out in the water, man. If if any of you guys are ever in San Diego, hit me up. Uh, Sean, Mike, and myself, we all have some Airbnbs out here. You guys are all welcome to stay and I'll take you guys on the water. We'll go sailing. Awesome. We'll take you up on that for sure. Mr. <laughs> Fortez, what's your one thing that you're working
0: on unrelated to real estate?
6: I'm a basketball referee and I'm trying to achieve the highest level league I can work in, whether it's the NCAA D1 or NBA or NBA G League, whatever you want to put, like wherever I top out at, so be it.
0: That's super cool. Damn it, I love that. <laughs> now you're you're much more cooler than Rich.
2: Oh, stop okay. it, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Daisy and Luke, and, and thank you guys for staying on so long. What's what's the one thing you guys are working on? And I'm sorry, I know you pressed for time.
4: Yeah, no, we're good. Um, mine is I'm um, uh, day eight right now, seventy five hard. So that's been exciting and challenging already. I'm, I'm at my parents, and so I said no to homemade tortillas yesterday. So <laughs> sticking to it until until that 75th day. So that's my my exciting use right now. Awesome. Yeah,
5: and, then for, and then for me, I, I use kettlebells a lot. So there's a there's a program called Simple and Sinister. Uh, it's a very like straightforward, very simple program. But I'm pursuing that this year and hope to like complete it with a 40 kilogram kettlebell. Which is eighty-eight
0: pounds. Jesus, you're a monster. And he does <laughs> That's that awesome. With a one
4: hand, no, not with both hands. I got With
0: one it. hand. You were skinny
5: fat your whole life. I've been like skinny strong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> right on, brother. Right on. That's awesome. What a great goal. And then, and finally, Mister Buendia.
3: Man, it's funny that you guys are saying like into fitness, right? My son and I. He's only eight. We have a challenge. He, he likes a rock. So we have a challenge. He wants me to look like a like an action figure, uh, so I've been I've been hitting the gym hard. So that's my that's my thing right now. You know, it's like I want I want to have the six pack and the pegs and the back and everything. Not a bodybuilder type, but I want it to be like damn that. So that's my that's my challenge right now. That's what I'm working on. So yeah.
0: That's awesome. It's called a deficit diet. Just don't eat. And then you'll get that six pack. <laughs>
3: no, <laughs> he, wants, he
0: wants me to be as big as I can.
3: So I'm eating like crazy and getting the gym like crazy too. So yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for this second multifamily mastermind that we've had. And I think that our listeners will all value this. Let's go ahead and sign off. We got Richard Summers from the Multifamily Takeoff podcast. We got Justin Frazier from the True Multifamily podcast. Luke DeBro and Daisy Serrano from Make It Rain podcast. Mr. John Fortes from the Passive Investor Show. I'm a PI listener. And then Herman Buendia. And with us, or actually not with us, is Oscar Buendia. God bless him and his future family and his little girl. REI Brothers Podcast and Shannon Ludlow from the Multifamily Journey Podcast. Signing off. We'll catch you guys next month. Thank you so much.